Yo, I'm Evan Mack of the Mac Mania Podcast with my two fellas. I'm Brooklyn Zone, Flobo Voice. And I'm the Hall of Farmer, Jack Farmer. Follow and listen on Spotify and catch us on the Spotify Green Room after major wrestling events. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me as always, Rob Mahoney. But a special guest in the third chair, the real OG Group Chatter over here, Chris Ryan. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Good to see you. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, Waz is not with us. He's dealing with a personal matter that uh, I'll leave to him when he comes back. But we've got a full slate here of post-All-Star just chaos ensuing. A lot of it based on what happened at all-star but first a little bit of news that our guy sham sharania drops on us as we're about to record he's back and i'm not talking about chris ryan i'm talking about kyrie irving uh apparently the vax mandates in new york might get lifted soon in the near future we're not totally sure but sounds like kyrie will be able to play in brooklyn yet again chris are you excited well, this was pretty much predicted by eric adams himself he had done a uh press conference a couple weeks ago i I'm a pretty frequent watcher of Eric Adams press conferences because you just <laughs> really never know what's going to happen. And I still really am into NYC city politics. Uh, and he had said, basically, it doesn't make sense that hometown players have to be vaccinated, but people coming from outside. And then he specified and entertainers, too, don't have to be vaccinated. But he said it does seem unfair to just like kind of not he didn't put it in this way, but like almost reward Kyrie for his intransigence over this matter. And so he said he was struggling with it. But I think across the country right now, you're starting to see a lot of lifting of, of some of the restrictions and some of the mandates uh, that we've been dealing with for the last couple of years. So um, I'll keep my personal feelings about Kyrie's decision making to myself. But yeah, I mean, it looks like we'll get a full strength Brooklyn Nets. And I do kind of wonder whether or not Sean Marks knew this at the trade deadline kind of had an understanding of what his lineup might look like come playoff time. 
and because we've all been just like, well, what are you going to do when you have to go play a playoff series and Kyrie's only there three times? And it's just like, I think maybe Sean Marks had, a, had an inside line from City Hall that Kyrie was going to be available. Well, as a general rule, we should know that once Adam Silver starts talking about it publicly, the consensus has already been built. Like the, right. those channels have already been worked. <laughs> the tea leaves have already been read. He is a guy who he does not get out in front of things. I'll put it that way. He, he is speaking things to, speaking to things that have already happened. Except when it comes to banning reporters from the locker room. He just well, seems to yeah. float those and, and well, then see what happens. Again, I think that one maybe more or less has already happened. That's neither here nor there. It's <laughs> a great point. Um, well, I do want to talk about the basketball implications of this just pretty quickly here because I guess this just means Kessler Edwards just won't have a starring role as he's had for the past couple of weeks. But I mean, the, the Nets are in serious jeopardy of falling into the play-in tournament to the point where like Zach Cram is going to unveil our playoff odds tomorrow. And I believe the most likely scenario is that they are going to fall into the play-in tournament. Um, but Chris, like... Obviously, this makes them better, but I do wonder, like, how much better are they going to be? Like, do you see just as a regular season team, um, let's just assume that uh, KD, Ben Simmons don't come back for like three or four weeks, which is, I believe, is the latest intel that we have. Like, well, Ra Ramona this... said Ben's yeah. close. So yeah. Ramona said Ben. So I wonder whether or not because Zach Lowe's reported like not reported, but suggested about a week or so ago that KD and Ben Simmons's return to the court would be tied together. Yep. Mm. Um, I wonder whether or not because of that play in tournament um, chance you're talking about Justin, like whether or not they bring guys back as they are available rather than unveil like the Voltron at once. Um, it's, it, it gives me no end of joy to see the two preseason title, like favorites in the play in tournament. I guess that means the play in tournament's working. Mm. And for as much as we lament, like, the regular season not mattering it matters now because now yeah. these guys have to play like for the last 28 games or whatever they have to play their asses off yeah the one thing i'll say is i keep hearing people talk about how the nets are better with ben simmons than james harden and no that's like objectively <laughs> false like they were absolutely incredible when all of them were together and even when they didn't have Kyrie and James Harden had one hamstring they almost beat the eventual NBA champions like this team was a monster it just didn't work out chemistry wise well they're better with Ben Simmons than an uninterested checked out James Harden which is what sure. they had you know it's the same yeah. thing with Philly like James Harden is much better than nobody playing where Ben Simmons exactly. should play yeah. you know I will say, do you guys think that this makes the number one seed in both conferences a little bit of a poison chalice? If you get you 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 finish at the top of your conference and then you either get the Lakers or the Nets in a play in situation. Well, the only problem is you could still play them if you're in two. Yeah, that's you know, true. and so it's like if you want to tank all the way to three to try to dodge the Nets, I I guess you could do that. But I think you're just going to have to take the lumps as they come and hope that you end up playing like the Hornets or the Hawks or something instead. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of last week shenanigans going on, like a mere coffee going for 60 points, going for 81 in Staples Center, uh, crypto.com arena. Sorry. Um, all right, let's get to the docket at hand here. Uh, in other news, in much splashier, like take over the all star style news, LeBron James just had a bit of a heater over the weekend back in Cleveland. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with the beats by now, but he in the span of a couple days, hours even, uh, suggested that the door wasn't closed in his return to Cleveland. 
said outright after implying it for many, many months and years that he was going to play with Bronny when he gets to the NBA. If he gets to the NBA, we can talk about that later, perhaps. Um, and pretty much praised every other GM in every other sport except for Rob Polinka. Um, and there's been a lot of follow-ups after this, but my favorite came today from Bill Orm of The Athletic. And at one point in his piece, he writes, the situation with the Lakers is tense enough that one, clo- uh, one source close to the Lakers likened it to the early days of a war. So, so Chris, I asked, does this feel like we're in the midst of uh, Russia, Ukraine abroad or, or at our home right now? No, we're in year two of every LeBron team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've seen this TV show before. It's on, it's on syndication. Um, yeah, you know, my favorite thing about this, I, have, I adore this story. There's just like, <laughs> there's so many different ways to read it. But the thing that I love is that as an as a international football fan, I'm uh, very familiar with the phenomenon of when a player or a coach uh, during like an international break goes and speaks to his home country's media yeah. and usually is super, super candid about what's going on in a way that they are not with, say, the English media if they play for the Premier, in the Premier League. Mm. So this just happened with Tottenham's manager, uh, Antonio Conte who uh, has now been banned from speaking to Italian media (laughs) because every time he goes and speaks to Italian media, he's like, Tottenham fucking suck. Mm. So we should ban Jason Lloyd is what you're saying. Exactly. (laughs) LeBron can't speak to Cleveland.com anymore. But I liked the idea that LeBron was doing this and in like this old-fashioned way, didn't think the news would travel back to Los Angeles. Yeah, You know, like that we wouldn't get our hands on this. Of course he knew that. Of course that was the point. But there was something kind of like, adorable about him being like now that i'm home in cleveland out of that crazy big city over in hollywood let me get <laughs> you guys what are, what's really going on and while i'm at it sam presti less need like let's do like front office sports mm. well i think the big question here is is lebron angling for a return or is this purely a leverage play to light a fire under the lakers organization to do what he wants so rob do you have like a sense of of what might be going on here it seems more like the latter. I, I do mm. think a Cleveland return in some form is in the cards at some point. I don't think he's, I don't think it's imminent. I don't think he's really angling for that right now. To me, it's a lot more about what future picks are you going to trade over the summer? How are you going to resolve this Russell Westbrook situation? Basically prove to me that your franchise is worthy of me staying here it is kind mm. of the gauntlet that he's thrown on the table and the gauntlet that he throws periodically, as Chris alluded to, pretty much at every stop. This this is syndicated TV. This is this is comfort TV for guys like us who have been through these blog mines before. You know, I'm uh, I'm feeling weirdly sentimental about like the passive aggressive <laughs> yeah. LeBron press conference just because you feel the heat index climbing. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and I I do wonder as I as I look at the young stars in the league when LeBron goes and he's got years left. He's still one of the best players in the league now. Are we just going to lose this kind of passive aggressive sermon on the mount? communication style because I don't see any of the young guys who really communicate this way. Yeah, no, they just back channel and like try to get out of their current situation after like two years. I mean, I don't want to flip to the Zion Williamson situation right away, but like it does feel like a trickle down effect where like LeBron used to like take his time and like actually put opt out contract into opts out into his contract. Whereas now like people don't even worry. They just get as much money as possible. Then they just force their way out of situations. The answer is we do. We're just not going to want to hear it because it's Kyrie. 
<laughs> it's gonna be like we were we used to be on the straight talk express but now we're in Infowars, <laughs> and now it's like <laughs> what like what le- leverage is like what international incident is Kyrie using as is ins- like a leverage to like get something else out of the nets or wherever he winds up playing next I just yeah. don't like the distinction between LeBron treating us like pawns and Kyrie <laughs> telling us we're pawns. Yes. There's something a little too literal about Kyrie's approach, I think. No, Rob, you you, you missed it. It's simpletons now. <laughs> My mistake. My mistake. Well, I think what's interesting is how much the Lakers seem to be pushing back privately and I guess via like their typical uh, like cohorts in the media, just like publicly as well. Like, Chris, are you surprised that you're getting so much counter narrative like this. The, the Cavs did this, let's be sure. But it took four years. This is now what? Three years of LeBron. Yeah. I mean, am I surprised that the Lakers are letting it be known that LeBron was it, it, a partner in, if not at least signing off on all, all the moves that they made? Yeah. Like, I, I think that that the, the Lakers are probably one of the few teams out there that I would imagine see themselves on the level of brand recognition with LeBron, you know, mm-hmm. LeBron made the Cavs like with, with all due respect to what the Heat had accomplished before LeBron, like LeBron made the Heat like LeBron is not making the Lakers. The Lakers are an institution before and after LeBron. And in some ways, and I think in a lot of uh, like truly hardcore Laker fans eyes, like LeBron is kind of he's a real Laker and everything, but like, he's not Kobe. You know what I mean? He doesn't mean to that franchise what Kobe meant to that franchise. And I'm sure honestly, like I'm on like a couple of group threads with like some Laker fans. Like they're not particularly impressed with this. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like for as much as they hate what the team is doing this year, I don't think they like the idea that LeBron's holding them hostage. It's kind of like the LeBron thing every time is he's like a roofer who does a bad job. And then he's like, what are you gonna do about this roof? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know he's like you got I don't know who did this roof but you got to fix this <laughs> and it's like dude it's your roof like yeah. I don't know what to tell you like like so I'm not necessarily like a team Palenka here I think that they probably what's getting lost in the um opaque nature of the way he's communicating is um everybody is assuming he's talking about Russell Westbrook and that deal whereas maybe he's more upset about them not breaking the bank for Caruso or them not like maybe Kendrick Nunn was not the right choice or maybe they should have traded THT like when the value is a little bit higher like maybe there are some marginal moves that they made and meanwhile you look around and you see like Kuzma tearing it up for the Wizards you see Buddy like doing a decent job for the Pacers and like probably would have fit very nicely into the collection of like players that the Lakers championship team had Mm-hmm. And you kind of you you kind of see that that's where the Lakers are probably falling flat. And he he can do that not just because, as you mentioned, Chris, he doesn't mean to the Lakers what guys like Kobe did, but the opposite is true too. Like the Lakers mean something to LeBron. They mean being able to play in Los Angeles. They mean being able to establish a home base in that way. But he can leave at any time. Yeah. You know, like yeah, the, the time will. for <laughs> establishing ties to an, an organization that's like your first and second contract in the NBA. After that. It's anything goes. It's wherever is most convenient for you, wherever is easiest, wherever makes the most sense at that point in your career. LeBron is at that stage, like it or not. And he can be out the door pretty much at any time. Like we, we, we're we going to talk about his free agency and whether he's going to extend and all that. If he decides he's done before that point, he's done before that point. Yeah, it is interesting for LeBron to go to the Lakers and basically 
treat them like a vessel in the way that he did in when he returned to the Cavs, right? Like all the stuff about returning home aside, like that team had a lot of raw assets for which he could build a championship contender. The Lakers had the same at the very least in young guys that they could trade in order to bring Anthony Davis back there. Um, and it's interesting, the Lakers kind of pushing back and being like, we're the Lakers. Like we don't do this when in actuality, like I think LeBron covered up a lot of the flaws within that franchise. I mean, I, I go back to the idea that in order to clean things up, they hired Kobe's agent and Magic Johnson, right? And like they didn't really do a, like a fantastic front office job in order to really bring this team back to prestige. Like I think maybe they think like LeBron is to credit for a lot of that. But now we're kind of getting you're seeing this like trade off here where essentially LeBron has brought the clutch enterprise into the Lakers, right? In a way that he hadn't before with the Cavs, like Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith benefited from LeBron being there contractually. They played hardball and, and they got the best deals for them. But I guess, Rob, I'm curious if after bringing Anthony Davis over, after making a lot of these moves, if you think LeBron could just up and abandon the Lakers in the same way he did the Cavs. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the agency ties are there. They're pronounced. They're conspicuous when a guy like THT gets re-signed for big money, certainly. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to prevent him from going where he needs to go. You know, Le LeBron is not only just one of the most important figures in NBA history, but one of the most important figures in that agency's formation in history. If he decides, like, this isn't the right spot for him, I think that's just whatever, whatever he says goes. The thing about the Lakers is interesting, though, and whether... They certainly act and operate as if they are different from these other organizations in catering to stars, in opening themselves up to that kind of control from an agency, from a superstar, from whatever powers that be. I'm not sure they really are. You know, they still invest in superstars as partners all the time and have throughout their, their recent history to varying degrees. It's just, you know, when the time comes, they'll also trade Shaq if they have to. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Honestly, I mean, like, like it's a it's an interesting thought experiment to consider, like, what this Lakers team would look like if Steve Ballmer owned them. You know, like, what would the Lakers look like if they had the relationship to their luxury tax that the Clippers or the Nets do, where they're just like, yeah, you know what? While we have a championship window with one of the two or three greatest players of all time, like, money is no object because we'll have three parades. We will mint yet another era of Lakers dominance. We will continue for another generation of two or two as like an internationally recognizable sports brand. So let's just break the bank. And if that means going into our pockets for Caruso or whatever, hard cap aside or whatever, like the implications would have been like, clearly they could have made that work. And look, like there is something a little old fashioned about the, the Lakers. There is like a family business element to it. There are still like, Kurt and Linda Rambis rumors around like this <laughs> oh is not gosh. you know when you see LeBron talking about about Sam Presti and Les Snead and stuff like that in this press conference like that's not it's not just Lepolinka he's talking about I think he's talking about like the all the cooks in the kitchen that are still over there at the crypt are Kurt <laughs> like and Linda Rambis an incredible hang do they just send like the best <laughs> Christmas card every year I don't understand how they became such prominent power players here. I think they're genie people if I had to they guess are, I mean I'm not they're like absolutely a, genie people you know and 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 everybody needs somebody you know everybody <laughs> wants people who are like their inner circle so it's like I, I don't know but it's fascinating they throw great key parties <laughs> yeah <laughs> the cucumber sandwiches oh my god you wouldn't believe it yeah I mean 
it's weird that I feel slightly sympathetic for the Lakers and like the Lakers brass. I, but I guess this is where we are, where it's like, I don't think there are many winners or, or many sympathetic figures, but you kind of feel a little bit for the Lakers in the same way you did the Cavs simply because like LeBron did force things. And if you were to believe some of the reports and boy, there are a lot of them these days about how it was LeBron's idea. It was Clutch's idea in order to trade for Russell Westbrook. Uh, like, yeah, you, you could be like, well, this, you kind of made your bed. You do have to lie in it. On the other hand though, it does, it does seem like they're drawing a hard line in the same way the Cavs did over that draft pick that ultimately became Colin Sexton. Like, I don't know what the difference is going to be holding on to this 2027 first round pick to the point where Brian Windhorst and others have reported that like they wouldn't even consider a pick swap in order to make the wall for Westbrook like trade off. And like to me, that seems like I don't know what you're getting out of there. You're just drawing a hard line just to draw a hard line. I don't know. Maybe that's also though, like <laughs> that that's like a little bit like you've been in the foxhole too long. Like we're talking about wall, like walls played less than like Simmons and, and you know, like what, like I don't know what they would have gotten back from wall. And I think that there is a possibility that, that, that like, that, that, like those guys have still sort of stood by Russ. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that there's been any kind of like mutiny when it comes to uh, like the only person who's really not stood by Russ in, in, you know, is, is Vogel in terms of like where he, whether he plays Russ during the end of games, like for the most part, like while there have been rumblings about like, we need to like adjust or whatever, like those guys haven't been like, this was a giant mistake. Russ, we, I wish we could get out from under Russ. He's just not listening to the coaching staff and doesn't do things the way we want over here. Well, that's the final bridge to burn, right? Like that's what you do when you're cutting off Russell Westbrook's playoff share. And he's just ejected from the team until that point. I think LeBron and AD specifically have to put on a certain face as far as what Westbrook's role is, how important he is to the team. Like they have to continue to invest in that stuff. And yeah. that's the Russell Westbrook conundrum because he's never going to really dog it. At least not, no. at least not like superficially, like the way like you can say Harden does or something like Westbrook for better or for worse, like kind of goes a hundred miles per hour every time. And maybe he doesn't try as hard on defense or he gets like blown off the court on defense, but like, you can't say that Russell Westbrook didn't give effort. And that's like still like the number one thing that's identifiable as like a crime in sports, you know? Mm. One of the 75 best players in history, baby. Um, let me ask you guys this because LeBron is on the verge of if he does force a trade, let's say in, in a doomsday scenario, like what his fourth team in fifth situation, like, would we think of LeBron differently if he team jumps again? Because personally, I've always been on the case where like, you know, a lot of these situations have degraded to the point where they aren't championship caliber. Even the Heat were on teeter on the verge of being a pretty bad team considering Dwayne Wade's health situation, right? Although like probably a little bit better than some of the holes that he left behind in Cleveland. Um, but if he were to do so again, I don't know. I, I'm starting to to waver. In that belief, Chris, would you feel differently about LeBron if he jumped to not even just Cleveland? Let's say he goes to, I don't even know, the Knicks. Would you feel differently about his legacy? So don't you think the most likely thing to happen will be that he extends with the Lakers for a year, becomes a free agent, and then chooses to go play wherever someplace, which will be crazy when LeBron goes and plays for like the Pacers. <laughs> <laughs> for on the mid-level exception because they got Bronny. Like this will be a, like 
unreal when that happens. Like not I leaving aside the like the father playing with the son, but him just being like getting a chance to play with my son would be like money would not come into that conversation. So that would mean that like LeBron could just play for anyone who happens to get Bronny. And that's that's honestly too exciting to care about any of this other <laughs> stuff. The question is, is whether or not he's going to be like, I need to go play with Josh Giddy for 12 months before that happens. Mm-hmm. Or gotta, I need to you go gotta build play. those reps. You got to get the chemistry with Giddy. <laughs> I know. Um, or whether or not he's like, you know, yes, it would be really sweet if I went back to Cleveland and and got one more with Mobley and Garland before I go on my my father-son pilgrimage. Um, to me, it, it like it doesn't really matter. Like, I, you know, like this kind of happens to players towards the end of their careers, like. They usually like have like a little bit of a wandering spirit. Like once once things kind of pass them by, it hasn't really passed LeBron by, and he brings obviously so much of like a gravitational field with him that it's going to irrevocably change whatever franchise he winds up with. But I'm not really like, I'm I'm not really like like scandalized by the idea that he would leave the Lakers and that he would have like kind of like a traveling circus. What's really to lose at this point? You know, like when he left Cleveland the first time, that was a thing. And, you know, if, if Giannis were to leave, if Jokic were to leave, like these one franchise guys who started their careers in one place when they if if and when they would leave would be a big deal. Once you've already changed teams a couple of times, it just feels like business as usual to me. I don't know. May, maybe I'm just like so far removed from the like set up roots and really mean something to a franchise era at this point. But LeBron can play for as many teams as he wants. He's one of the best players ever. Yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens when he's Cause like, I think individually he's not what he used to be, but he's not like bad. Right. Like it's, it's not like Dwayne Wade towards the end of his career or something like that, where you're like, Oh man, this is kind of tough to watch. But if it, if it seems like he's no longer able to galvanize a team and make them a finals contender, which we're only like, let's say that that, that it doesn't happen for them this season. Maybe they end their season a little bit more respectably than they are where they are now. But if it's just like LeBron can't single-handedly will a team to the finals anymore, and if he can't do one do it with Anthony Davis as his teammate, like I don't think he can, then like that changes like what getting LeBron on your team means. It's a huge box office draw, obviously, but it's not necessarily like you, you're like if you if you sign LeBron, you're at least in the conference finals next year. Yeah. Are you gutting your team? For 38, 39-year-old LeBron, when it's going to be an open question if that does happen, because LeBron, like we said, doesn't have these opt-outs. He actually signed an extension recently through the 2023, uh, well, up until the 2023 offseason. So on August 4th, 2023, um, he's able to sign an extension again, but like because of his age and because of the way contracts work, he really can't get the same sort of levers that he used to. And so maybe he is stuck where he is. I guess the a kind of a a major button that he could be looming over is like whether or not to trade Anthony Davis. Like, do we think like he would ever get to that point, Rob? I can't imagine why. (laughs) Like what else do they have to do? From that question. This is the problem with like the, would LeBron eject conversation? Should he extend conversation? And ultimately when we talk about the Lakers pick, why it gets so complicated is like, they just don't have that many ways to get dramatically better over the next two years other than pulling some of these levers. So I get why the AD conversation comes up. I just don't see any better, better fitting, more complimentary player out there than Anthony Davis at this point. And when those two guys are on the floor together, they're still a really good team. They just have this Russell Westbrook-sized logjam uh, that's that's really clogging things up. But if they can resolve that situation, 
trade one of those future picks for somebody who is better than John Wall. I think there's still a good team in here somewhere. Maybe not a championship team, but certainly a good one. Yeah, I I just think Davis's injuries and his inavailability um, and just the fact that he hasn't been able to take the reins in the way that LeBron had hoped for and had been messaging since Davis was traded for contributes to this problem, right? I don't think Davis is the problem but he definitely contributes to it. And if he's the only one to move, like I, I think LeBron's going to face a really interesting decision of whether or not to want to just like get rid of one of Clutch's like prime like assets here. I, I don't know if it's up to him. I yeah. think, I think that there's like a lot of forces at work here. First of all, like if you're the Lakers, like LeBron gets traded before AD, right? That's, that's the cold decision, right? Well, I mean, I'm yeah. sure you do it in, 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 con, like in concert with him, but like yeah. LeBron is, LeBron is closer to the end than AD is. And for all of AD's durability issues, like AD is still a unicorn. AD is still capable of like remarkable things on the floor. AD probably like with two, like why not? Like if you're, if you're talking about going nuclear, go nuclear with like the unexpected option, right? Go do it where you, you know, you trade LeBron tell trade LeBron to Oklahoma city for like all those picks. And and a couple of cap fillers like do do something to like rebuild while AD's still in his prime. I think if you trade LeBron, then the trade request from Davis falls immediately. Like I think that is where. Yeah, I mean, the clutch I, I don't know. I don't know how much like does clutch move collectively. Like if they do, <laughs> if, if so, like all all the power to them. But like maybe clutch should have an NBA team. Then <laughs> it should just be like here's the expansion team, the clutch. You yes. guys worry about this. Set up just Caymans, right? Just the mothership going to a new planet, set up shop, take yeah. it from there. That's right. right. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
All right. Well, let's turn now to uh, Anthony Davis's old team, which is dealing with similar problems with a player who is way earlier in his contract. Uh, Zion Williamson has become officially a bit of an issue for the New Orleans Pelicans to the point where uh, officially a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you're like a BBC broadcaster being like a, a spot of weather over London and it's like cyclones hitting, you know, like. Uh, um, so the, the big event, I guess, was CJ McCollum revealing uh, to TNT over the All-Star break that like he hadn't talked to Williamson yet. And it's been like what? It's been at least a week or two. Uh, so you'd expect at least a like, hey, welcome to the team text message. Doesn't take that much. Um, and so that kind of set off a trickle down effect where a lot of people were weighing in, including JJ Reddick, his former teammate. Uh, who, as Scott Kushner of NOLA.com mentioned, is probably the last person you expect to critique Zion, considering he is a Duke uh, alum, as well as Zion is a CAA member and very much in the anti-David Griffin camp. So like, if he is attacking Zion and calling him a detached teammate, I think there are some issues here. Well, plus uh, Zion's a friend of the pod. As someone who's appeared on J.J. Reddick's podcast, isn't there a sacred oath against us true. bashing Chris Ryan behind his back, back for example? <laughs> right. Right. We would never do that to Waz. Um, uh, let's start here, Chris. How big of a deal is this? I think it's really big. I didn't think it was, and now I do. I think it's like really big. First of all... Because of my BBC intro. No, well, I just think, first of all, we're on the precipice of this guy's career going up in smoke. So between whatever's going on with his foot, his vanishing act... Honestly, and like you can get into like whether or not it's old fashioned for injured players to still be around the team. But I think it's all part of like a larger picture with Zion, which is just like, what's going on with this guy? Like, like, does he does he want to? I mean, maybe he doesn't want to be in New Orleans, but he's like in risk of like his career is on the line here now. Like, I think like and it's very, very rare to see ex players like this. Like somebody so immediately acts like JJ, who's like still within the realm of like, you could bring JJ off the street for a playoff run. Like he's still in locker rooms kind of guy. I don't feel like JJ would have said what he said without kind of running it by some of the people in, in New Orleans, like players, people like, I just don't feel like he would just throw a Molotov cocktail like that if he didn't think that it, it would be okay with other people. Honestly, mm. like, cause like I, I know he's on first take, but JJ is good. Like JJ doesn't have to get into the middle of like a huge firestorm over this. So obviously like, I think there's some truth to what he was saying. I think that there's some truth to like, look, putting aside Zion being hurt, putting aside whether or not he wants to be in new Orleans, putting aside whether or not he and David Griffin get along. Cause JJ and David Griffin don't get along. There's just like, obviously a code of conduct among NBA players. That's like text a guy when he gets traded to your team. And it you would, know, like it wouldn't be a big deal if Zion like hadn't ever reached out to Tony Snell or something in this deal. But CJ McCollum is an established player. He's a guy who's ostensibly being brought in to be your partner in this. It's also the president of the Players Association. Like this is a guy with clout who moves stuff around. I, it just seemed weird. It 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 seems conspicuous in a way that some of the other Zion stuff didn't. To your point, Chris, where like this is a small thing and and. I mean, who am I kidding? We love to make mountains of molehills in NBA media. It's kind of what we do. But this feels like a thing. This feels like some a player who is uniquely disconnected from the team he's supposed to be, if not playing for, certainly like kind of reporting to work for, involved in. Like there are ways you can be involved with an organization without even being around. Even if you're off rehabbing on your own, even if you're off seeing your own doctors, all that stuff is totally understandable in the modern NBA. 
but you can't text your new teammate. You can't reach out in any capacity as an ambassador for the organization to do anything at all, especially especially when you're not on the court, especially in knowing you're not going to be with that guy in practice. That seems to exacerbate it to me, if anything. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it went from like, oh, is this guy going to have like a kind of injury-laden maybe like Embiid's first few years where it's like, oh, we're not sure if his body's going to hold up, but like, man, when he's on the floor, it's really a miracle. It's amazing to watch. To like, I don't know, is this like Fultz territory? <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I, I don't really know what's going on, but like, obviously nobody knows what's going on because Zion is not doing what LeBron does, which is like LeBron like holds court and talks about like what's happening and what's on his mind and like how he's feeling about stuff. Now, obviously LeBron's 40 and Zion's in his early 20s, but there's 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 so many like different permutations of what could happen from here where you have to start to wonder whether or not this will be a revolutionary moment in NBA history if this guy does not sign his extension. If it's so bad for him, right? Because so he's due his max deal, what, this summer, right? You can sign an and extension let, this summer, yeah. And let's say, let's say the, the Pelicans are like, well, we don't want to go all in on that, right? Because what have you showed us? Like you've you've barely been able to stay on the court for the first three years of your career. If they start hedging a little bit, like does Zion take that as like, well, then why would I, you know, I'm a number one pick. Like I should obviously be here. I should be paid, paid like it. I mean, we could see some like really truly like kind of paradigm shifting stuff happening with Zion's career that could inf- impact like the years to come for the NBA. I mean, we had talked about it with like, Oh, what if Luca gets like a little annoyed about like <laughs> D- Dallas is not bringing guys in around him, but Luca signed. Like, I mean, like that happened. But I, I, any anything could happen with with Zion, and I wouldn't be surprised. You're saying that Gail, Gail Benson needs that Glenn Taylor, Andrew Wiggins handshake. Will <laughs> yes. you promise us you're going to try harder? Yes. Kind of agreement here. <laughs> right. Well, look, I mean, there's been like I think Embiid's contract, for instance, is like very incentive laden, right? which I think he's going to hit all of them and and everything. But there were some protections in Embiid's deal, I think, that were about, like, let's just, in case you can never play again or your back gives out or something like that. I don't know whether or not that might be a model for Zion going forward, but, like, who who knows? I mean, Justin, have you heard anything about this? Yeah, I mean... I think the more interesting ripple effect of this is is how the Pelicans have responded and will respond because I don't think it's news that Zion doesn't want to be there. Like short of wearing the that's all folks t-shirt that Anthony Davis passed down to him. Like I think it's pretty clear he does not want to be there for the long term, but the Pelicans not putting him on the promotional material for their season tickets for next year is a little petulant, I will say, but telling that they're at the very least at the point where they're trying to send a message to Zion that like, we can move on without you and we are prepared to do so. I don't think it will be good for them in the long haul. I think they'll probably uh, just find themselves in kind of the loop they were in before they got even Davis, where it's just like Eric Gordon and Chris Kamen in that really sad photo. Like that will be their future. Um, but like, I, I do wonder if we're at the point where a, what, like Chris is saying, do they even offer him a max extension and if they do, is it going to be so incentive laden? Is it going to be more about bonuses and it won't be just a, f- a straight max? Do they wait an entire off season so they don't give it to him before next season? They wait an entire season and then they open themselves up to restricted free agency, which then opens themselves up to people tossing in random clauses, player options before they want to, which probably also hurts them. Or do they hit 
the big button and do they trade him before they even get to this point, knowing that like if they sign him to anything, he's just going to want out anyway. So like, I think they're in the no win situation here unless they really do some damage control. I, I, I don't see them ending in a good situation with Zion, which is really, really sad to say, not only about the Pelicans, but about the NBA as a whole. If you land the number one draft pick, the next superstar in the league, the next LeBron James, allegedly before all the injuries, and you only get two seasons of him before he has pretty much messaged he doesn't want to be there at all. Isn't it crazy that they even have to think about this? That like with a player this good, the Pelicans do have to go through that calculus that you're laying out. Do, like, how much are we going to insure this? How much are we going to put in bonuses? How like how much are we going to protect ourselves from the possibility this guy does not have a long and productive NBA career? To the point where I, I think that it would be one thing if it were just the injuries and they were just talking about those possibilities. But every time he's been out, it's only just gotten weirder and weirder and weirder in terms of his in- interest and investment in anything related to the Pelicans to the point that I don't know how you navigate this, but I think the safest route still, even at this stage, is to invest in Zion as long as you can with whatever protections you can get. It's still get the longest deal on the table. It's still try to beat this thing before restricted free agency because if he has the opt-out, he's just going to bide his time in a different way. And so if you have the ability to keep him under contract, even if it means knowing that you're going to eventually trade him or probably have to trade him, I still think that's the way you have to go. Yeah, in a lot of ways, this is a much bigger issue. I don't think the the Pelicans are innocent here. I think the hiring of Stan Van Gundy was a catastrophe, and that's totally on David Griffin. Like the players there were talking as if they had just been through a war. Like they had been through the shit where their Josh Hart was admitting, like, I didn't like playing basketball. And a year later, he's playing under Willie Green and basically like showing up after he'd been traded to the game to a Pelicans game with like teammates a jerseys Ingram on. Jersey on. Yeah. Right. Like, and I do want I wonder how much that contributed just to the overall just malaise and just like how shitty the situation has Zion has become. But I do think something is broken here. And I do wonder. Uh, if if this is really a tipping point just for players asking out in general, because like we just went through the whole Ben Simmons scenario, and this is way worse than Ben Simmons. Like Zion is hasn't played in, in an entire year. He's only played two uh, of the seasons he's been available for. And like while he's been great when he's on the court, like I, he, he's he's basically just holding a team hostage based on preferences at this point. Well, it's also just a bigger deal because he means more to the Pelicans than almost any other star means to their team in the league. Like, he is their hope. This isn't Simmons opt- like wanting to leave. It's like Simmons and Embiid both deciding they want to leave at the same time. Not because Zion's as good as both those guys combined, but, like, they need him. They need him yeah. to go anywhere right now. And and it was, like, it was kind of a miracle. that they, Well, not a miracle, but it was against all odds that they got him, that they got lucky enough to replace one franchise player with another it was pretty amazing that they were able to pair him with somebody as good as Ingram and shout out to Ingram, man. Like it's been pretty crappy there for the last couple of seasons and he's still playing his ass off. Like, you know, like, and, and I think Willie green is a good coach, like considering everything that that team has had to deal with and all the turnover, like they, they, they are, they're not good, but they are, they, they aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be without Zion and with like the roster that they had. And yeah, like, is it is am I wrong in saying no one has actually like seen him? Like, have you guys seen a picture of Zion from like the last six months? No, he disappeared at one point to Portland. 
to yeah. rehab, which was an interesting choice. Is that and a Nike thing? Is that like I assume so. Um, uh, and I think in February was the last update we had, but no, I don't Maybe think he was scouting CJ McCollum. Like that was like this part of the long play, you know? <laughs> they sent him on advance. He, they're just cramming Zion into those little scout seats in the, in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. He actually did text them, but he had to delete all his texts and throw away his phone. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this before we just flip to our last section here. Would you trade him for anything? Like Rob, would is there like a package, like a reasonable trade where you could convince yourself like you know what we made a go at this he doesn't want to be here let's just let's just cash him in the trick is finding a place where he does want to be that also has all the stuff because if if it you could just trade him anywhere and some team's going to take a chance on him at this point given everything we know about zion i think i would take the thunder kitchen sink of let's just get as many picks as we conceivably can and as many of these young players as we like who aren't nailed down and try to make a go of something in a in a you know a reboot. What a fuck you to send him to OKC after he doesn't want to be in New Orleans. <laughs> I like it. Uh I I would probably do I would probably hold on to him until the last possible second. I would probably yeah. hold on to him to when it's basically what happened with the Sixers and Fultz, where it's just like you cannot give up on a number one pick until basically. I mean, you know, and and Fultz was playing decently before his knee injury and everything, but like you just basically can't afford to see a number one pick go to another team and make you pay for it. Right. Well, he's also uh, not a guy you trade for like a fringe all-star and two future yeah. first. Like it's got to be a bowl me over amazing return package, even at this stage, because there's still so much to like and build around and how he plays when he plays. Just will he play for the Pelicans for the foreseeable future? That's the big variable. All right, let's flip to a little bit more positivity here. Um, we're going to look ahead to the second half. Starts tomorrow, Thursday. Um, we are going to run through what we're looking forward to in the second half of the season. Rob, why don't you start first? Because I think I think yours is the most optimistic of the bunch. Well, I was going to say second half in heavy air quotes. There's like 20 to 25 games left <laughs> sure. at this point. Unofficial second half. Yeah. My big question is, can Luka Doncic be a one-man playoff spoiler? And I say one man somewhat facetiously because the model that Dallas has working right now, and really the reason they were kind that you could justify the Chris Epps Porzingis trade is a time tested model of superstar offensive creator, high level defense. Th those models have had a lot of success, at least advancing in the playoffs, maybe not contending, maybe not going all the way, but that's a model that can bounce some really good teams out of there. And Luca is a player who if not for basically a legendary performance from Kawhi Leonard, would have already been to the second round by now. That makes me a little concerned for some of these other teams that could play the Mavs, especially in the first round. Like, I'm looking at Utah at four and thinking if Dallas is five, the Jazz are in real trouble. Mm -hmm. that, that is a matchup they should want. Absolutely nothing to do with. And some of that starts with just the way Luka's play has come on over the course of the season. As Mark Cuban has said, as he's gotten in shape, as he's, you know, sharpened, his intellect. I think he said he's street smart. He's smart, like in street smart, not in, you know, Harvard MBA grad smart. I don't know what any of that means, uh, but he is in better shape. He's playing incredible basketball. The last four games leading into the all-star break was averaging 42 points, 12 rebounds, seven assists. That'll do. That's pretty good. And beat-esque. Beat-esque, you could say. Uh, right. So I think I think they have a the Mavs have a very interesting case as a playoff opponent for some of these teams in the first round. They need to prove a few things over the over these last twenty games, but I kind of like where they are just as a team that could just ruin somebody's season. 
I really want to see if this defense is real yep. in the playoffs. And like, if it is, like, I take my hat off to to kid and everything. Like, that's that is an incredible turnaround, and I don't really materially see. Personnel-wise, it's not like they like radically changed what they were doing, but he obviously figured out a way to get a very, very, very workable defense in there, which is like not something I ever thought I would be saying about the Mavericks in the, the next couple of years. Yeah, Rob, do you want to apologize to Jason Kidd quickly? <laughs> I will apologize. <laughs> Does Carlisle just not coach defense then? Like, what, what, what does that mean? Well, over over the last like five years, especially, Carlisle just leaned more and more into offense. I think in like the way that as we all get older in life, we just are saying, fuck it. I'm just going to do the things I love. Yeah. And Rick Carlisle loves offense. He loves small scoring guards. He loves offense. Uh, and he loved, you know, prioritizing in his rotations, guys who could score, guys who could space over guys who could guard their position. And I think what you have now in Dallas is a, a case top to bottom. Luca sometimes included, I would say largely on, on the fence, uh, of guys who can just like be solid where they are, be solid in their assignments. Some guys are a little overtaxed. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith is asked to guard incredible offensive players when he's just like a, a very versatile defender. So he gets a, a wide variety of those guys. But their defense has been really good and really good in ways that's like habit building, not, oh, we brought in the defensive player of the year. And now we have a good defense because he's propping us up. It's like it's cohesive. It is balanced across the roster. The question is now that they're playing so much smaller all the time, can they defensive rebound the way they need to? Can they do like all these size related things that a guy like Chris Porzingis for as, you know, as much of an asterisk as you want to put on him as like a 7-3 guy who's not really 7-3. He still was much bigger than Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if the Mavs can overtake like the Jazz to become the four seed. Like definitely trending in different directions. One going one way, one going the other way. Um, Chris, do you want to go with yours? Yeah, so I wanted to t do the Harden-Simmons thing, but I wanted to look at it from a different angle, which is, does this really matter? Um, I obviously will be intently watching like every Sixers game here on out. I'll probably watch as much Nets as I can. It's going to be the most fascinating tactical chemistry experiment in the NBA, probably with a lot of teams at the top of these conferences, you know, more or less set in their ways. But, you know, looking back over the history, the recent history of the league, at least, like, you go back to like the Matumbo trade in 01 to the Sixers, Rashid to the Pistons, you know, maybe Marcus All to Toronto, but like midseason trades don't really swing conference finals or finals that often. Like these are not necessarily like ready to bake <laughs> ideas when you bring in significant additions to a roster in the middle of the season. And we're seeing this with two powerhouses in the Eastern Conference. These guys are not, uh, role players like Simmons and Harden are very, very special, unique talents in their own way. So I'm kind of curious to see whether or not this actually changes anything and whether or not almost everybody you talk to is just like, yeah, you know what? Like, till I see otherwise it's Milwaukee. Yeah. And then I think there's a growing contingent of people being like, man, like Miami is this good and their best five players have only played an hour together this season. Like when they get healthy, it's over. Then you've got like, bullish Boston people or bullish Chicago people or bullish Cleveland people or whatever. I'm kind of wondering whether or not this is going to be more of a dress rehearsal for next season for the Sixers and the Nets and whether we're going to see that continuity is really the key here in the, in, in the home stretch and in the playoffs. Cause it's, it's like doc's good, but I don't know if doc can dr like draw up a new offense for the Sixers. And I think that's, what's going to need to happen. 
Well, the good news is James Harden is kind of his own offense sometimes, like it or not. For sure. And if he staggers them, like it's very intoxicating to imagine like an Embiid Harden team, an Embiid team and a Harden team that he can he can play around with. And that's certainly better than his bench mob lineups that are like, honestly, like just they're just they just kill this kill like so many games for the Sixers is watching when Doc's got five reserves out there. But um, I'm really, really fascinated to see about this. Like Ben Simmons hasn't played competitive basketball since the Hawks series. Like, I don't know what Ben Simmons is going to look like, and I don't know what he's going to look like with Kyrie and KD. And I just wonder whether or not, like, the the Bucks, Heat, and Bulls are just in better situations because they are familiar with playing with one another. I think they probably are in better situations, but I think it's also important to remember that there are ways for this trade to matter beyond the Sixers or the Nets winning the title, right? Like, if they knock even just one of those teams out, that changes the shape of the whole deal. If they, you know, if the Sixers knock out the Celtics in the first round, they're beating the Bulls in the second round, and neither of those teams are able to make it to the conference finals, I think sometimes we discount the way that that changes what those teams are going to do in the future in the offseason because they're frustrated from not advancing the way they wanted to, or the players on those teams leaving or wanting out or you know, changing how they feel about their team because they didn't go as far as they thought they would. That stuff matters, but also... You know, Daryl Morey talked about this on the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, which is an unbelievable interview. I'd recommend anyone go listen to it. But part of the reason why these midseason and deadline deals don't usually make a big as big an impact is because guys like James Harden don't get traded at the deadline basically ever. Yeah. He's immediately one of the best players to ever be moved this late in the season. And so if there is going to be an exceptional case, it's probably going to be this one. Yeah, the best player since he was traded the year before. No, I, I think another comp to bring up with the ones that Chris mentioned is also the Carmelo Anthony trade. Uh, kind of as a counterpoint to this, because in doing so, the Knicks completely gutted their roster to the point where it was like Melo and Namari and like not much else to, to play with, and especially for that season going forward. I think the difference with the Sixers is they managed to re- retain most of the good things that they already have. They have a lot around them. And so this isn't a complete gut job where it's just going to be in beaten hard and against the world. And if one of them gets hurt, it's like pretty much playing through Paul Reed, right? Like they have Maxi, they have Thibault, they have a title core like role player situation around them. And so I think it's going to be a little bit easier to Will pick up and go. Stein now, you know, You're right. Yeah. That 10 days is really going to pay off. Um, but I, I've said this before. I don't want to get to it again. I am a little concerned, especially because of how dominant Embiid has been and how much he's established himself in the MB, MVP conversation, how much he's going to willingly seed power and shots and everything that comes along with the super, being a superstar too hard. That's my biggest concern. Not exactly the X's and O's on the court. Um, all right. You want to go with mine real quickly here? Uh, yep. I have the... Right, well, let, me, let me set you up, man. Yeah, Justin. Yeah. Tell, tell us yours. Wow. Just straight from the BBC. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Um, Justin, uh, you must have a second <laughs> half of the season uh, storyline that you're looking forward to. Please tell us. Right. So, Chris Paul, you wouldn't know it from watching the All-Star game because he played in it, surprisingly enough. Uh, but he is out for the next six to eight weeks, which is going to be pretty interesting. Not because I think it's really going to dramatically impact the Suns' long-term outlet. Uh, outlook as long as he's going to be healthy for the playoffs. Like they're probably going to be the number one seed. If not, maybe they fall to the two. They have a big lead at uh, at this point. 
I'm more interested in them because so much of their success has been credited to Chris Paul. And I kind of want to figure out how much credit he does deserve. I mean, Rob, we talked about this in the MVP conversation and and just all NBA with Bill. Like, you want to credit Chris with all the good things that are happening. But at the same time, you don't want to diminish like the progress Booker's made and DeAndre Ayton's made. And so I really want a a sample without Chris Paul because he's only missed four games up until this point in in Phoenix. And I want to know like how good is Booker? And in particular, I want to know if DeAndre Ayton really is a max player because I think that is going to be a big decision they're going to have regardless of what happens in the playoffs. I think probably a franchise altering one going forward in terms of like turning the page to the next generation after Paul leaves. It is a vision of the future, right? In in that way. The question is like, how much is Monty Williams really going to allow DeAndre Ayton, for example, to do differently, knowing that he's just going to have to squeeze right back into his role once Chris Paul gets back. So I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to be dramatically different in terms of execution. I'm not even totally sold that we're going to be able to judge these guys in this situation as like a Chris Paulless void, considering the train is already built and on the tracks. And now it's just like, can Devin Booker shovel enough coal into the engine to keep it running? Uh, which I think he is more than capable of doing, but that team is just so fully functional, so well established, so well grooved in how they operate. Chris Paul is, is obviously what elevates them. What's going to make them great in the playoffs and, and, you know, really enhance their ability to combat some of the best teams in the league. But for 20 games of regular season basketball, I kind of think they're still going to be dominant. Yeah, I agree. I, the, the thing that's the most impressive to me about the Suns is like the night-to-night basis stuff. And I think even within games themselves, like you compensate for not necessarily absences, but maybe guys having off nights or guys being hot. So it's just like, I think we'll probably see a little bit more of a a bigger role, even for a guy like Bridges, which we, we didn't mention, but like, I yep. wonder whether or not Bridges takes on a little bit more on his offensive play. And frankly, like that might serve them well in the playoffs. If, if like a couple of guys who are more used to standing in the corner and watching Chris Paul conduct the orchestra get to, you know, be part of the playmaking, be part of like a uh, different elements of the offense. You know, there's also no guarantee that like Chris Paul is always going to be healthy. And we've seen that over the course of these, of the last couple of seasons. So it'll be a real, really good test and a really well-timed test for the Suns, I think. Yeah. And also it would be nice to really shore up the backup point guard spot. Like, I don't know if campaign can give them the same boost that they had last season. He certainly hasn't this season. Uh, the Aaron holiday trade seems to be well-timed and if I'm putting on my conspiracy theory. And I wonder if they knew something in advance. So at the very least, like maybe they just like, they figure out the stuff on the fringes that they're going to need in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, at least I wonder whether or not they knew they probably weren't going to get Dragic or something like that. Like, I know Dragic probably wouldn't want to go back to Phoenix anyway, given how it ended. But, like, I wonder whether... there you, you do wonder how much of, like, buyout stuff people already know in the back of their heads. Like, so, th- so that, like, you were aware, like, there wasn't going to be, like, a pretty good point guard on the market, so we have to go get Aaron Holiday or something like that. Well, Justin, which one of us is Aaron Holiday? Which one of us is Campaign? And which one of us is Alfred Payton, do you think? Uh, I think you're Drogic, which means you're going to be playing for a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that note, uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you, Chris, for joining us this time. My pleasure, guys. Uh, Thank you to Isaiah Blakely on production. We'll see you next time.